morning. I know, I know you may have questions, but uh, why am I out there and not here? Ask UI. She will tell you. Or Daniel. Let us start. Will you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we are thankful for the freedom that we have to worship you in this manner. We thank you, Lord, that you have called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. And Lord, as we come to worship you, as we come before your throne of grace, we pray your spirit will indwell us, fill us, and help us to lift up our eyes and our hearts to behold you, to acknowledge you for the freedom, the deliverances, the provision, the protection that you have given to us. Grant us a thankful heart. For through Jesus we pray. Amen. If the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed, as recorded for us in John chapter 8. So this morning, I am privileged to share with us some thoughts about Merdeka, about freedom, about independence. It is indeed a celebration. I, and I, I see that in one way or another uh, and over the past few days as I walk my dogs in the neighborhood. Some of my neighbors begin to put out flags and uh, wave and smile more than they normally do, you know, because uh, it's Merdeka. So there's this general sense of uh, a, a welling up from the general population that uh, on this day, no, on the 31st, many, many years ago, we have achieved independence. And, and the, the memory or the celebration or commemoration of any nation's birthday or, or independence is really essentially a celebration of freedom. And, and we can celebrate this freedom, and we need to bear in mind because others that came before us, who are probably not among us today, they paid the price for us. Thus, let us not forget that freedom is never free. There's a cost to it. You know, independence is valuable. It's something to be cherished. It's something to be acknowledged at the very least. And it is so valuable that our founding fathers literally risked everything. Their fortunes, their families, their reputations, their honours, and for some, their very lives. Not only in our country, but if you look across the world to the nations that have achieved independence in the course of history, it is often bought with the precious blood. That's why in, in Malay we say, Tana Tumpah Dara. And for some, even the blood of their children and their families. So there is an extremely high cost of independence. I have only seen it in the black and white, very blur on TV of Tunku Abdurrahman raising his hand in 
in Stadium... Is it Stadium Negara? No, it's Stadium Merdeka. We shouted, Merdeka! 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 What comes to mind when you hear Merdeka? Well, I will suggest a few things that came to my mind. Freedom, foremost of all. Liberty. If I think a little bit harder, self-rule, self-determination. Rights, sovereignty, a bigger word. Kids, ask your parents. Autonomy, and of course, celebration. And among these and many other words that you probably may have when you associate with merdeka or freedom, I, I would just like to focus on freedom for the rest of this message because I think it encapsulates the spirit of merdeka and the essence of what independence is all about. It's freedom. I'm going to pause here for a while. I, I was outside, uh, and, and quite boring, uh, huh? sitting at the corner. And so I went into Pastor Shen's, uh, the gate, and I realized that uh, it was not locked. So I slid open, and I went around the house, and I uh, noticed that his uh, vegetables are all withering up. So I took the holes, and I, I did some gardening, I did some watering. And as I was doing so, I heard distinctively a cry coming in from the house. Not a human cry, but that of a dog, a puppy. And from what Shen told me, I messaged him, the puppy's name is Mary. It's a cockle smell, spaniel, and it's female. It's probably in a cage. And I think Shern's mom is here with us in, as one of the ushers. And it is crying and wailing. And I think part of, the, <laughs> part of the cause was that when I heard the sound, I called out, hello, you know, in, in a pet-friendly voice. And I think it must have heard me and continued to call and wail and cry. And, and Pastor Shern said she has yet to get used to being alone or in a cage without people. And that set me thinking. I'm just imagining in an hour's time or so when Pastor Shen's mom go back to the house and release Mary. I, I can imagine the, the, the pure joy and the tail wags and the jumping and the exuberance of Mary, the cockle spaniel puppy, when she tasted freedom. How many of us were here when Tunku Abdurrahman raised his fist in Stadium Merdeka? Not many, if any. Or maybe how many of us were around then? I can safely say that for them, I, I certainly, well, I wasn't born yet. <laughs> or was I? <laughs> anyway, I had no conscious memory. But freedom is something precious. But it is also something that we, I think, all of us are guilty of taking it for granted unless you have been caged like Mary and set free, you wouldn't know how precious it is to gain freedom. And therefore, for many of us, we celebrate Merdeka with perhaps a different understanding and not one that is truly felt that you have been freed. And I think for those of us who were our forefathers and, and seniors who lived through the Japanese occupation as an occupied 
country, still under the British, incarcerated. We'll never know what it means to be truly free. Let me get back. There are certainly rewards and promises and all the good stuff that we associate with any country that is independent. Among them, self-governance, self-determination. We have our own leaders. We have our own government. We have sovereignty of territory. This is our land. And with that, as the years roll by, the Malaysian plans of promises of prosperity, of peace, justice, safety, stability, control, hope, and our future. I suppose you can add to this list of the rewards, the gains, and the promises of independence. I'd like to come to this big idea that you know, you can hold it at the back of our minds, and with that also a challenge. And the big idea is this. It is only in Christ Jesus that we find true freedom. And, and as I share, I will try to relate freedom not only to the nation, but to individuals like you and I, and also from the perspective of God. John, 3, uh, John 8, 36 says, So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And the challenge for you and I is really this. What do we do with our freedom? What do we do with our freedom? As I've said, the three key areas that I'll be touching on, freedom in the nation, individuals, and God. Now, I want to start off with this point that nationhood is not an issue, meaning that it is not against God's design that there are countries, there are nations. After all, a nation is a community, a, a gathering of people of like-mindedness with a shared history, language, ethnicity, culture, religion within the same territory or vicinity that they have made their lives on. And over time, a tribe of people, a collection of people living in close proximity became a nation. In the Old Testament, we know that God chose the Hebrews out of other tribes to be His people. And He's told them in Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 22, And you will be my people, and I will be your God. It is not God's intention that we renounce, that we disregard or we belittle the citizenship that each of us possess right now, Malaysians. And it is not God's intention for us to only seek allegiance with the church and downplay the fact that we have a nation a country that we are born in. We are to be in the world, but not of it, as the Scripture so rightly points out. We are to live out our lives as salt and light. So it makes no sense for the church to salt and light the darkness and the decay found in nations 
if we were to have an exodus, get out and live in the caves and in the desert and have no interaction with our friends, our neighbours and society in general. So on that, I think we need to be very clear that nationhood is not and is never an issue when we see this in the context of our faith. Nationhood is also not the answer. And I was thinking hard about this, an answer to what? And allow me to put together my thoughts. An independent nation in itself does not guarantee that it has the solution or the means or the resources or even the will to address all the problems of an occupied nation. Let me say that again. Any independent nation in itself does not guarantee that it has the solution, the will, the means, the resources to address problems associated with a nation that is occupied. So being a nation that is free itself is not the answer. Christians in any nation can, may, and do face multiple challenges, obstacles, and depending on which country you are born in, persecution. And depending on which country you are in, persecution in varying degrees. The Israelites called out to Samuel and said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and fight our battles. You know and I know that human history is replete, is full of stories when nations rise up against other nations to subjugate, to conquer, to tear apart, and if I may use this word, to rape of its resources and its people. So the fact that we have nations is not the answer. Nations have continually engaged in warfare and conquest throughout history. And today, if you read any social media, whether in print or in the electronic media, you will know that right now, the eyes of the world is focused on Russia and Ukraine. Some call it a war, some call it otherwise. But it is nevertheless a conflict. And for many of us, we lift our eyes closer to where we are today, to an island state called Taiwan and its huge neighbour, the People's Republic of China. Will it happen? Won't it happen? Such is the world we live in. Nationhood is not the answer. So with all this warfare and conquests and shaking of the spear, the threat of warfare in all its forms that I will not go into, comes subjugation, exploitation, suppression, untold suffering, and the loss of freedom. The third sub-point that I'd like to share is, is then sovereignty, independenthood. Is sovereignty an answer? Citizens of nations under occupation or colonization will invariably suffer in one way or another. 
and they do face extremely grave consequences, which I will not go into. But the reality is that citizens of many sovereign nations may also not fare any better. I don't need an alien dictator to suppress the nation, the citizens. I could have a fellow countryman doing that to us. I think for those in Malaysia, you know what I'm talking about. Many sovereign countries mistreat and oppress segments, parts of their own citizens, which sometimes they don't recognize and call them illegal residents. Think of Myanmar, think of South Africa, apartheid. So many examples to point to. What kind of suppression? I think this includes religious persecution, racial oppression, reduced rights, unfair justice systems, different levels of benefits, second-class citizenship, the list goes on. And mind you, all these things are happening in independent nations. You don't need a foreign nation to do that. We can do it even better ourselves. Just very quickly to kind of like summarize. So nationhood is not an issue. God does not intend to call us out to be a Christian nation wherever we are in the desert, in the holes, in the caves. He called his people to be the nation of Judah and Israel. So God has no issue with Malaysia. But nationhood is also not the answer because of the inerrant wars and greed breeds war. If you have something which is black and liquidy and can burn and cost a lot of money, I want it. I read that, that's oil I'm talking about, I read that in the near future, nations will not go to war for resources. Nations will fight over water because of its extreme scarcity. I'm keeping my eye on Egypt because the sources of the Nile are in Ethiopia and there is tremendous tension. Water scarcity. Sovereignty does not guarantee the benefits of the promises of independence, which I've mentioned. Sovereignty is not the answer. We'll come to our first question. In what ways can we, as the church, the local church, as well as the church in Malaysia, as well as the body of Christ, do better to protect, safeguard, uphold the freedom and rights of our citizens? I'll give us two minutes for this. And for the kids, they are not here. So for those online, I think you can read it yourself.
The second part, we want to talk about freedom and the individual. Okay, I put on my specs, I can see you. <laughs> freedom is greatly sought after. It is greatly desired. Adam, he wanted the freedom to take that which is prohibited by God. He wanted to be like God, as the serpent suggested. The constant refrain, the constant thing that we hear again and again, and I paraphrase it, is this. Nobody can tell me what I can or cannot do. I want the freedom to decide for myself. For those of us who have graying hairs and, or no hair, <laughs> I think we have taken more salt than a lot of the youngsters have taken rice. Because a lot of this comes from the younger people. They want independence. They want to be free. They want to be like Chen's uh, puppy to get out of the cage. And they demand for it. And this has been the driving force, the social pressure, taken somewhat as if it is a right to be free. I want self-determination. My parents can't tell me what to do. My teachers can't tell me what to do. The, the country can't tell me what I can or can't do. An American politician hundreds of years ago said these words that ring, I don't know whether you have heard of these words. He says, give me liberty or give me death. And, and I quote Patrick Henry, because he greatly desired and valued liberty or freedom to the extent that he said, you give me freedom, if not, you give me death. It is up there as life itself. He's telling the people, it is taken from a speech he gave, that freedom is so important, so valuable. It is akin to life itself. Life without freedom, I'd rather have death. That's what he says. So it is greatly desired. In the U.S. amendments, I was doing some reading and I thought that I'll use this as some examples. The first amendments safeguards five freedoms or five liberties for American citizens. The freedom of speech, the freedom of religion, the freedom of press, which is the news, freedom of assembly, and the freedom of petition. The Constitution does not interpret what speech freedoms of speech, religion, press, assembly, and petition means. But having researched and read, the, the meaning has changed and evolved over time. What I, I'll go into that a bit later, right? And, and the second amendment is the right to keep and bear arms. And you and I have read and heard horrible stories in the United States where children are taught in schools how to hide and how to protect themselves when gunmen burst into the school. And the gunmen could be your friend sitting on your left, on your right. Children, the freedom to bear arms has come to this state. One of the catchphrases of the United States, the Constitution, is a government of the people, by the people, for the people. It sounds so right. Then I was thinking, where's God? You take the American quarter, in God we trust. So there can be a lot of verbiage and words about freedom. Having said that, it remains 
highly valued. We may want the freedom to say anything to anyone. Some, somebody said, the freedom of speech is only true after you have spoken. Will you still be free <laughs> or will you not? That's the acid test of freedom of speech. Or go anywhere you want at any time. Wear anything. Anywhere. Do anything. Anytime. Why my sajatra does not allow me to do this and that? Why must I wear a mask? You know, all these things you've seen in the past couple of years when the COVID pandemic slash endemic ravages the countries. Now, as long as we are not, this is my thoughts, as long as we are not on the receiving end of what others say, where others go, what they wear, what they do, etc., we are okay. We, we seem to be happy if we can dish things out freely, but when people do the same and it hurts us or impacts us, we protest. So freedom is very fragile, and we need how to handle it. My confession is that in my very limited and likely under-informed understanding, those freedoms, and I'm referring to the five freedoms in the United States Constitution, which is a representation of sorts of the freedom that we have, we cherish, and we want, is that those freedoms have evolved or changed over time from safeguarding the rights and status of the majority, of the collective, of the many, to that of the individual or the one. The freedom of speech, as originally, as far as I can understand, is intended for the citizenship to voice out their displeasure and protest against the American government if they do things that are wrong. So it is enshrined in their constitution that the citizens have a right to say what they feel that the government is wrong in doing. That's the freedom of speech. I'll skip the freedom of religion, which means that, you know, you can take on any belief or faith systems that you want. And I won't go into that. And then there's this separation of state and church and you can pray in the, the schools and stuff like that, you know, so we'll, we'll not go into that. Freedom of assembly is also meant for the citizenship to assemble, to protest against the government if the government has deviated from what it agreed upon, the social contract of the American document of independence. The freedom, of pro, the freedom to protest or to make representations to the government. All, all that is really to safeguard the rights and status of the many, of the collective. But today, it is very much more an individualistic uh, twang <laughs> that they have taken these freedoms for granted to apply to the self and not to the state. And, and I, I love this series of Hollywood, Star Trek. In one of the shows, Spock, in sacrificing himself in the, in the reactor core, says this, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one. And he died saving the crew of the Enterprise, if you are a Star Trek fan. In a different movie further on, Captain Kirk said this, the needs of the one outweigh the needs of the many. It's a very special situation. But what I'm trying to say is that I'm using these two quotations simply maybe to reflect the shift of focus 
from, from the protection and upholding of the freedom and rights of the many to now individual. And it has connotations and links to the civil rights movement and the LGBT, XYZ thing that's happening all over the world, which I won't go into. What does Scripture say? Do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. We are not our own. We have been purchased by the precious blood of Jesus at the cross. At that price, He paid for us. We are not our own. Hence, in many countries, there is this law against suicide. Suicide is illegal. You can't kill yourself. If you kill yourself successfully, you're done. If you kill yourself and you're not successful, you can be put in jail because you have broken the law. You are not your own. It has its roots in biblical doctrine. You are bought at a price. And may we be constantly reminded of whose we are and who we serve. Not I, not me, not myself, but the Lord Jesus. That is who I belong to. For the one who was a slave when called to faith is the Lord's free person. Similarly, and listen to this, the one who was free, wasn't a slave, when called is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. So sometimes I wonder, why, why are people so upset about freedom? I think, I speak for myself, I think freedom, in a lot of instances, is overrated. True freedom is to be freed from slavery, to sin, and freed to willingly serve and be a slave of Christ. There is no in-between, I don't want this, I don't want that. It is freed for a purpose, freed to serve. And that's what Jesus meant. When the Lord has set you free, you will be freed indeed. Not the worldly understanding of freedom, because worldly understanding of freedom is very selfish. We think of ourselves. The needs of the one is greater than the needs of everybody else. Another passage. I have been crucified with Christ, said Paul. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. That's why he can say, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. May we capture a slice and may I say a big slice of that mindset and understanding of the Apostle Paul so that we can correct and adjust our narratives, our perception, and our understanding of freedom and the purpose of that freedom that has been given to us. We have been freed from slavery to sin so that we can be free to serve Him. And so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed from the law, from sin, from death. What else does Scripture have to say? Romans 6, But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, 
the benefit you reap, the promises, the hope of this freedom leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. Eternal life with Jesus. That is the benefit, to be with Jesus. We'll come to the second question. Is there anything in your lives that is holding you back from serving Christ freely? What can you do about this? Finally, freedom and God. We are freed for a purpose, and that is to serve the purposes of God this side of heaven. We prayed the Lord's Prayer just now, Thy kingdom come. That's the purpose. So with this freedom that's wrought for us, bought for us with the precious blood of Christ, what? is that purpose before us. So one key lesson from Acts, which we have been dwelling in the last couple of months, is that it shows, it teaches us the church is to serve God's kingdom purposes through its love, through its witness, and all the things associated with the budding new church. The church is to be known as the showcase. I think that's what our brother Chong Jin used, the word showcase. To showcase how to govern in love and to how to govern with love in this whole area of communal responsibilities. Yes, God did not intend or call us out as Christians to be a Christian nation, a virtual Christian nation. But nevertheless, we need to be the example in terms of our governance, how we care for one another through our love. And hence, they will know us by our love for one another. And the church in Acts has several examples that showed how the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the one, selling properties, sharing resources. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve the one, serve one another humbly in love. As I said earlier on in the big idea, there's this challenge, and it is what we do 
with the freedom that is paid for us, given to us. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. Let's take a look at that passage. There are five things that are damaged, that are destroyed by sin. And Jesus came to put that right. Firstly, to preach the gospel to the poor. Sin impoverishes. And Jesus brings good news to the poor. I think it is also Jesus who said, the poor you will always have. And it is to the poor that the good news should be brought to, among other people segments of society. Secondly, to heal the brokenhearted. Sin breaks hearts. But Jesus, through us, we can bring the good news to them. To proclaim liberty to the captives. Merdeka. Sin enslaves. Sometimes the change is not physical but it is psychological, it is social, it is mental, it is often also spiritual. Bondage to sin. And Jesus has come to set them free. Fourthly, to bring sight to the blind. Sin blinds us, not necessarily physically, but spiritual blindness. And Jesus comes to heal our spiritual Yes, Jesus healed physical blindness, but it's more than that. Number five, to set the oppressed free. Sin oppresses its victims. And Jesus came to bring them liberty. And that is the same charge that is given to us. So let us join in God's work to bring the good news to the poor, the brokenhearted, the captive, the blind, the oppressed. How better can we witness to and lovingly serve the community both within the church and outside of the church? In conclusion, know that God has set you free from sin. Be free and unafraid to obey and serve Him. Do serve and witness to His love 
that others too may be free to be freed by him. Let us pray. Our Lord, help us to realize and appreciate and to value the freedom that you have wrought for us with the blood of Christ himself. Truly, that which costs counts, and that which counts costs. Help us, Lord, to embrace the understanding of freedom that you have given to us, that we may be freed to serve you and your kingdom purposes. There are many people around us and within our community who have yet to be freed or who think they are free. We pray your spirits work through us, your children, that we may bear the light and be the salt to the end that, Lord, you may see it fit to use us as instruments of righteousness, that we can play our part as your church for the furtherance of your kingdom, this side of heaven. For we ask and pray all this in Jesus' matchless name. Amen.